So, hey everybody, I am Mike. I'm an animal care specialist at the Greensboro Science Center. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hi, hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Rasafari Podcast. Y'all, there are some absolutely epic, famous duos in life. We've got Laurel and Hardy, Lennon McCartney. We've got Hall and Oates, right? We've got all kinds of amazing duos. But uh, lately, the one that has stood out uh, above all the rest is the Greensboro Science Center and Rasafari. Uh, we've been doing so much fun content between our um, social media posts and our podcast episodes and uh, all kinds of good stuff there. Um, as a matter of fact, after you've listened to this episode, you need to go check out the Greensboro Science Center's podcast. Not just because it's great and we're supporting our friends, but because Science Unlocked Episode 5 features the one and only John Rossi as a very special guest. That's right. We've now been on each other's podcasts. How cool is that? So make sure you go and check that out. Give it a download. Give give us a listen. Um, you'll, you'll notice uh, without going into any more details, I get a little bit of revenge on Becca. I'll just say that. And if you don't know what I mean yet, you will when you listen. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, this is really exciting. We are back at the Greensboro Science Center talking to some amazing people. And that's going to start this week with our good buddy, Mike Motch. Now, Mike is an awesome, awesome dude. And um, basically everything that I want to put in the intro and, and tell you about Mike, I, I really can't because it's all in the interview and I, I don't want to give anything away. Um, the way we get to a lot of places uh, in this interview is a lot of fun. I definitely think this one will, will get a few laughs and you'll also learn some things because... Uh, and let's be honest, I know a lot of you have been waiting for this for a while, but it is pygmy hippo time, y'all. We've talked about some of the amazing births at the center already, and now we're going to dig into the baby pygmy hippo situation. So uh, that, that one's a lot of fun. Uh, before we get to the interview, I want to quickly remind y'all to make sure that you are following along at Raw Safari on all the socials, at uh, Raw Safari Pod on TikTok. Make sure you hit subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes of the podcast, and it would really 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 help me out if you could leave a five-star rating or even especially if you're an apple podcast take the time to write a review um they help people find the podcast they really do it's like the biggest way that people will find a podcast and um honestly it's it's just really meaningful to me. I like reading them. I like seeing them. It helps me know that y'all like what we're doing here. So um, ratings, reviews, yay. Also, if you want to, you know, support the podcast financially, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Rasafari. Uh, you can join for as little as $3 a month, and there's all kinds of cool bonus stuff there. Um, but yeah, so I've said all that I need to say. So let's get to it. Here is my interview with Mike Motch from the 
Greensboro Science Center. I am told that they call you Magic Mike. Why is that? So that started a couple of years ago with our maintenance staff. That's when Magic Mike the movies were really big. So just kind of keep that going once in a while. Um, but all those members of our maintenance team are at a different facility or not in the field anymore. So that's how it kind of started and just k- keep kicking that dead horse. That's fair. That's fair. And um, have you ever stripped? Per- no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to know, actually. <laughs> that costs extra for you to know. <laughs> no, but I uh, – oh, okay. Based on that attitude, then the answer is clearly yes. <laughs> okay. So getting back on the rails since I – this is actually a record. I've never derailed my own podcast in under a minute before. <laughs> That I'm here for it. People's champ right here. <laughs> um, all right. So, I mean, we'll talk about your career and stuff, but like, let's get right to the important thing. Okay. We are at the Greensboro Science Center and there is a baby pygmy hippo here. So I want to hear just all about how this experience has been and, and how that happened. I mean, we know how it happened, but you know, <laughs> the, the story behind it and just all of that stuff. So we do have a baby pygmy hippo. Uh, she was born last month on the 24th. So she is about one month, four days old. So that is just wonderful for us. She was born to Hollyberry. Her name is Huckleberry. So quite a good name selection on Keeper Staff part. I was very pleased when I, when I saw the name. Yes. Yeah, so uh, well ev- everyone on social media had their own name picked out. But as soon as we dropped the actual name, Everyone's like, yes. <laughs> that's awesome because social media is not always the most cooperative place. Um, so that's that's good. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so the pygmy hippos, Ralph, who's the dad, Hollyberry, who's the mom, we put them together a few times over last summer. Um, they got along fairly well. And then about last August, they really got along very nicely, if you know my drift. <laughs> so we saw a couple good breeding episodes. And then both September and then November 1st, we saw breeding. So the last breeding episode that was witnessed by staff members slash volunteers was lucky me walking in on those two hippos. So <laughs> after a while, we were working on ultrasound training. We started to see more and more signs that Holly's getting a little bit big. So around December, we finally got confirmation that, hey, there's a little bun in the oven with Holly. So we just kind of changed up some of the routine, started to baby-proof some of the bedrooms. And then about January, February, Holly said no more to Ralph. So they were together and typically you separated them once future mom says, go away, you did this to me. So we separated them. <laughs> then about last month came in, Holly was in her indoor bed on exhibit called her over. She didn't even lift her head. Usually she comes right over to me even when she's half asleep. So that was a big sign. So we let vet staff and management know that, hey, it seems to be go time. And then we saw some contractions throughout the day. Then around two-ish, we started to see feet coming out of mom. (laughs) So that was wonderful. Um, Baby was backwards. So we were all, oh no, this isn't good. Then we saw some toes wiggling and baby could be in that birth canal for hippos for quite a few hours so the fact that we saw toes moving was good and then 15 minutes later pop goes the hippo and we had a baby hippo at 2 15 ish in the afternoon so that was lovely to witness and 
lot of emotions that day. I bet. That's really cool. I want to go back into the process for a little bit, though, and talk about um, introducing them. Or had they had they been paired together before this time? So uh, they've had some howdies between the fencing and all that, but never shared space until last summer. And then once we were like, it's time, we have seen the signs from Holly that she's interested. So she started to be more flirty at those howdies and all that. So we just monitor their behavior. And then after that, later in the summer, that sweet time when fall is on the air, but not quite. They started to really enjoy each other's company. Okay. Um, I'm curious about, uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm much more aware of, like, I have a better knowledge of, of the, the large hippos than the pygmy hippos. And, um, I know that they are, you know, absolutely ferocious. Um, and I know that the pygmy hippos, despite being small and cute, are still protected contact and, and all of that jazz. Um, is it a similar temperament? So they are little, relatively, a little bit more calm, a little bit more accepting. So they are, I like to compare them to a Labrador, to a German Shepherd. So one is going to be on point, in your face. Like if you're not supposed to be there, you're getting, you're getting the business. Whereas Labrador is going to be there, but also going to be like, what are you doing? So not quite as angry, but they could still, they're still close to 600 pounds. They still have those large canine teeth, not true canine, but large developed incisor type teeth, and they could really mess you up. So think of a feral hog, but bigger and more deadly. Okay. So when you're introducing them, how scary is it for you? Uh, they're the first 30 seconds heart. You, I could hear it in my ear. So I was very nervous because even though we saw the signs of them just going up nose to nose, doing some slight kissing where they just barely open their um, mouth and just touch it. Um, so they're just kind of saying hello, not seeing negative potty display towards each other. So that first 30 seconds is when something's going to go wrong with most intros. So we saw that they got along. He was chasing her around a little bit, but it wasn't angry chasing. It was how you doing chasing. So <laughs> we... We the Joey Tribbiani method of, yes. of hippo introductions. Perfect. <laughs> but after a while, and then my our VP of Animal Welfare and Collections, we were watching um, for the second round of intros, and we saw some really good behavior. Um, she was going into position, but it was on the hillside because she's hasn't done this before, and Ralph was very engaged. But we saw a lot of good things and saw some things up close that really didn't want to see at this point in my keeping career. Fair. Okay. So that's really cool. Cause I just, I would imagine that like introducing hippos and stuff would be, you know, terrifying. I'm glad it's cool. I didn't realize that generally if you're going to have an issue, you're going to have it right away. Um, let's say hypothetically that there was an issue because there wasn't. So now it's easier to talk about this. <laughs> what, what would have the, what would the plan have been? So we had air horn, you do a short blast of an air nice. horn, pretty much makes everything with hearing capability just be like, what's that? Some hoses to distract them, um, what we call spooky sticks, which is a PVC pipe with um, some flag slash flare on it. So it's something that if you wave it, bright colors, very distracting slash startling. So it'd be do that. Odds are one would be chasing the other to be separate them, break it up as best we can with protected contact and then lock them apart and just sigh of relief. But hippos are 
kind of many tanks in the animal world. So even if things were going bad, it takes a lot to truly hurt a hippo. Mm-hmm. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's cool. That's, I just, I, I, yeah, I think as somebody who doesn't do it, I mean, I get nervous when my dog goes up to another dog, you know, and my dog is super friendly, but not all dogs are. And, yeah. um, you know, owners don't seem to understand that. Like, I'm very careful about like speaking to the owner. I'm not one of those people who just let their dog go up to another dog, but you know, <laughs> sometimes I'm always just like, Oh, is this a crappy owner? Am I about to, <laughs> to pay because this person doesn't understand their own dog's body language or whatever? But yeah, I can't imagine with hippos. <laughs> yeah. So just. Being able to observe, leading up to it, seeing all those signs, um, management was very accepting of what keepers were saying, of what we've witnessed. So having that documentation, having that observation really helped put everyone on the right track. And if things weren't actually lining up from what we were observing, it wouldn't have happened, but things happened and good things happened after the intro. Yeah, that's awesome. I I really love that. Um, And so tell me about the personality of the tiny little potato we just went and visited. Oh, goodness. So we were wondering what personality traits, because we like to personify animals and all that, their behavior. So we were wondering if baby would be like dad or like mom. So we lucked out and got both. So Holly (laughs) is... Very destructive, very smart, very in-your-face and sassy, whereas Ralph is go-with-the-flow, calm, cool, always hungry. Um, gets He's kind of jumpy, so like if bees or like a tree branch falls away, he'll be like, what's that? And you'll see him like jump half a foot. So baby will jump half a, half a three inches and then be like, ah, oh, I'm going to beat you up. And then <laughs> she forgets she's less than 40 pounds right now so it's adorable seeing a sassy little hippo get kind of spooked and then just go on the attack and then (laughs) mom's just looking at her like now i feel bad for my mom so (laughs) that's really funny you um you mentioned that mom at some point was like all right dude get out how does that like how does that go and were y'all expecting that and and how did that you know how did the uh conscious uncoupling work So basically, I think mom just got to a point where she was feeling baby, um, wanted to kick dad away. So kind of just behaviorally, dad was giving a little too much attention, most likely. And then mom was like feeling being pregnant because nobody's 100 percent comfortable when pregnant. So they just were interacting. And then one day she like kind of got into the back half of the one um, holding space and just like wouldn't turn around and just would open mouth display at him. So keeper staff saw that separated them and they were separated ever since no reintroducing or anything. Since once mom says I'm done with you, she'll be done with him until we put them back together for potential breeding a couple years from now. So that's very cool. And that makes a lot of sense to me. And um, I, I guess in the wild, they wouldn't just be a big happy family, right? This is what would have happened. He would have been run off, basically. Yeah, basically, dad comes in when it's mom's ready to have babies. He'll mate, and then he'll just kind of go on his ways. And then mom's just hanging out by herself. She'll feed the baby and then go off. So she'll kind of hide the baby. Baby has that natural instinct to hide because... The more hippos there, the more, oh, a potential predator, a leopard, a large snake, a crocodile could be like, hey, there's a lot of hippos there. There's probably a young. So it's kind of like the white-tailed deer of North America. Mom feeds the baby once in a while and then goes away so baby doesn't have attention drawn on it. So 
when babies are older, you could kind of see small gatherings of hippos in the wild, a thatter pygmy, but not large pods or I forget the other word for a group of hippos. So you'll see a couple juvenile to adults, a bloat. Yes. It's a bloat. So you might see a small bloat of a few individuals, but typically they're solitary. So if you see them together, it's either dad and mom doing their thing or mom and baby. Cool. And um, how long uh, do you expect babies who want to stay with mom? So baby's going to be with mom um, for at least eight months total. So mom and baby are going to wean. And then once that weaning's done, baby's going to be eating hard, solid foods, hay, lettuce, grain, that type of thing. So it could be a year to 18 months where mom's done with the baby. It could be they're getting along fine and dandy, and there's no teenage daughter drama with mom, and they're together until we get a recommendation for Huckleberry to go on to another facility to meet some lovely boy hippo and potentially help bolster the captive population. Makes sense. All right. So um, is there anything else that you want to tell me about this experience, the entire the, the pygmy hippo baby situation? So it's been wonderful. It's brought a lot of people into the Science Center and Greensboro in general. So we've had a definite uptick of visitors here during days of the week. We don't usually see that many people at that big hippo window. So a lot of kids enjoying it. A lot of mothers, uh, dads, grandparents all here enjoying it. Um, for myself, it's been lovely since got into this field to make a difference and having a baby pygmy hippo when there's only 10 breeding adults in captivity in North America is huge um, for AZA facilities. So building up that population, really nice. Wow. I knew the numbers were low, but I had no idea that they were that low. Now I'm mentally going through my head and wondering if I've actually seen like all of them, basically. That's crazy. There's a good chance you probably have seen a good portion of the breeding because there's a few more individuals out there that aren't breeding, but it's just that 10 right now. Dang, that is such a small number. That's awesome. I, I noticed actually both times that I've been here to to see um to see Huckleberry, um I though the window's been closed at, at times. And luckily I have the inn, so I get to I get to be there. But um what is uh what what is the reasoning behind that? And also, I mean, I know that people do get to come and see the hippo. So what is the um I guess how often is that happening? And Frankly, what's the response been like? So today, the reason the windows closed, we had a few dead trees removed. Um, they died due to construction of Revolution Ridge, and they just have slowly died the past couple of years. So unfortunately, the one tree, as they were cutting it down with the cherry picker, there was a huge uh, European honeybee hive in there that no one knew about. So we had a large swarm of bees. So that whole area is kind of blocked off. We got the queen and the most of the hive off to a secluded part of the woods next door, but there's still a lot of bees and we just don't want people to get stung because people go up to that window and they see the baby hippo, they do a high pitched squeal. And if bees are there, that's going to amp them up. And people always seem to just flail their arms about like it's the end of the world that bees are just buzzing around their head and (laughs) then they get stung. So honeybees really don't want to sting you. You have to really provoke them. So Unfortunately for the tree guys, they got stung because taking a chainsaw to their hive does that. But I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Becca was freaking out. I'm just, I'm just going to put her on blast right now. Becca, 
Becca was freaking out. She, you, you were good though. You didn't do the arm wavy thing. No, you just jumped like 30 feet in the air. It was like a Specs gazelle. So, I was impressed actually. So that's what I saw over the block house. Okay. That was Becca jumping. Yeah. Yeah. It was rather impressive. <laughs> okay. Well, we could, we could take you on. So the cassowary is a different story, but, um, but back to the windows. So today it was due to angry honeybees. Um, then if we're doing some type of maintenance in the exhibit or if um, water quality is off or if mom's just getting a little ticked off. So we're just monitoring behavior and we'll do quick little closing off of the window. If it's just too busy, too overwhelming for mom, they do have access to their bedroom and night holding just so they have another um, escape slash hide area. But just trying to keep everybody happy, healthy and calm and cool. Cool. Have, um, have people been pretty understanding when things have been closed and like getting that explanation or are they like, screw you, hippo now? Uh, 99.9% of people are like totally understanding, especially people who have little kids be like, mom and baby need their alone time right now. They're a little cranky and on edge. Um, it'll be open in about five minutes or, but for the most part, that window's been open for people to look at. We've had um, both staff and volunteers monitoring that and just asking people, hey, please keep it calm and cool. Um, they shouldn't be able to hear you inside the blockhouse. It's very exciting. Um, and people are very, very understanding. And we've had a lot of days of visitors have been self-policing behavior. So just keeping fellow visitors calm and cool. And everyone's been very nice. So it's been wonderful to see people come together and behave themselves awesome that's that's a rarity today so that's pretty cool to yeah yes yes, so yes they could just is. keep that going and take that outside the property with them <laughs> awesome very cool um so let's backtrack a little bit now that we've covered the the main topic um and let's let's talk about you a little bit so like how did you get into this field did you know that you wanted to work with animals when you were a kid like what's your story so i grew up like most people in this field watching crocodile hunter um Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, that's what I watched as a kid. Watched a little bit of Sesame Street, but then it was straight to that educational animal stuff. So since kindergarten, I've wanted to be a zookeeper person in some facet. So I've just kept that going. And then through high school, people will be like, what are you going to college for? I'm like, I want to be a zookeeper. So and they're like, OK, Dr. Doolittle and just <laughs> Kept the dream going and then did some internships after getting my degree and then ended up here at the Science Center and started off as a weekend coverage person. And now I'm over the pygmy hippos and cassowary along with many other animals I used to be over. Where did you do your internship? So I'm do you need a microphone? Should I just should I just I have a Becca's just yelling over there, doing hand signals. It's great. Be Becca, Becca completely killed my joke, by the way, because I had a joke before the next question. But no, it's fine. It's fine. You do you. Becca's launching her own podcast tomorrow, and I think she's just getting getting jumpy. But go ahead, ask that question again. Mike, this is a really important question. Where there's only one correct answer. Where did you do your internship? Only one correct answer. You know what the answer is? I don't. <laughs> I don't know what the correct answer is. I know it's where the Greensboro Science Center. I mean, yes, that was my last internship since <laughs> luckily I got paid, but I interned at a rehab center up in Northeast Ohio. Then I interned. I'm joking. Don't put any of that in there, but oh, I will. So uh, you better keep this. No. This okay. sassiness is what people try. This is real right okay. here. My microphone is staying in. Absolutely. Okay. Look, Mike, Michael, Mike, Mikey, Mike. Okay. It's magic, Mike. <laughs> 
Magical Michael. Magical. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> level 10 um, druid, okay. Like many keepers here at the Science Center, where all did you intern? So I interned high school going into college at a rehab center in Northeast Ohio, just a town south of where I grew up in Mentor, Ohio, outside of Cleveland. Uh, then after college, I interned at the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden for uh, that fall. And then I came down here for an internship. So I packed up my lovely Buick Century and drove my stuff down here to be an intern for four months. And then part-time opened up. So I did that. And then about 10 months later, a full-time position opened up. So I became in charge of the Meerkats Wallaby and Barnyard. And up until two years ago, I was over that barnyard in different areas of the zoo at some point. You you are quite famous for those Yoda walks. Yes, Yodel is one of the best goats, and if you haven't seen them on YouTube, there are some lovely, lovely Mike and Yodel COVID antic uh, walkthroughs of the zoo when it was completely empty, and I was probably losing my mind a little bit. Don't forget the aquarium. You took him. You took a goat to the aquarium. That is right. Yodel <laughs> loves the trash can in the aquarium and the cow nose rays. The sharks in the shark tank, meh. Penguins, meh. Garbage can and flappy flaps in the touch tank. <laughs> the Loved sea it. pancakes are a favorite of mine as well. All right, I'm going to give it back to you. Stealing the thunder. That's cool. Well, that just happened. Right. <laughs> awesome. So, <laughs> that's really important to point out that, like, so many people who work here now got their start or one of their starts interning here. And that shows that it's a facility that's really interested in not only developing, um, you know, people, but in rewarding, uh, good work. Ta talent, yeah. ability, yeah. whatever. All, all the things that you have. Greatness, I've been told. <laughs> Kelly's, Kelly has been also told she's great as well. Oh, so. Kelly's great. Let's yeah. be real clear. Kelly, so, I mean, Kelly is great. The great ones rise fine. to the top. I mean, <laughs> you gotta get me in the morning when I still have coffee in my system. Right now, I'm just, that afternoon low. I get that. I get that. I, I've only had one huge coffee today. So that's why I'm only this excited. Um, normally I'm much more, I'm, I'm much deeper into my coffees at this point, but yeah, <laughs> I'm much more much. So anyway, this, this podcast is just the best thing we've ever produced. Thank you, Becca, for, for that. <laughs> So moving on from um Becca's from you pirating and yes, all that. Yes. Uh let's talk cassowary. Uh amazing creature. Oh, Absolutely yes. amazing. Tell me everything. So I don't know if I could say this but if Hagrid could have a bird that wasn't magical it'd be a cassowary cuz they're the most dangerous bird on the planet. Um they're about 5 foot 510 depending on how big they are but third Largest bird, second heaviest, and the most deadly. So I believe there's two fatalities worldwide a year from them. And this is due to, on their feet, they are a ratite, so they walk, they're big. Moana's about 120 pounds right now. She's our female. Moana! That's awesome. So she has these big old feet and the inner digits. Her claw, talon, whatever you want to call it truly, is about four inches long and so they can kick like a mule but they kick out and it's the perfect height to hit my diaphragm and just tear all the way down to my kneecap so they could do a lot of damage if they land a kick that's why they're also a protected contact animal so we never go in with the cassowaries because bad times so we have moana 
And you have two, so what's yes. the other one? So we have Moana, who we named after the lovely Disney princess. Disney can princess, we, Can yes. we say Disney? I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble here. Um, <laughs> and then we have Dodo. So we got Dodo in 2018, and we were trying to just figure out names. We were going with um, names that of extinct larger birds. So we had his sister Moa, like the New Zealand Moa bird, and then we had Dodo because – Dodo birds were a fairly recent human-caused extinction. So we wanted to honor those and have names that got people thinking. Um, and Dodo kind of sadly lives up to his name a little bit. So he he's very smart, but he's easily distracted. So he'll be on his recall coming straight for me. You'll see him through the shift door, and then a bumblebee will just go from left to right across his face, and he'll follow that bumblebee for three steps and then <laughs> realize he's supposed to go inside and then get back on track so he he's kind of like dory from finding nemo it's like doing my job doing my job doing what i'm supposed to oh what's that shiny over there so (laughs) that's amazing oh my goodness the idea of a cassowary being a goober and just very easily distracted is really funny to me yes yeah but he's a he's a wonderful bird to work with so what kind of training do you do with them so we work with a recall. We do target training, scale training, so getting them up on to a scale willingly. Okay, wait. Describe this to me. Since, it, since it's protected contact and since you know they are so big, I'm just curious how that works. So in holding and the yard, so it's chain link outside, then we have basically narrow slots, kind of like a horse stall is they're holding. Like the doors have some windows in it that are like two-inch gaps. So we could toss some food, do target with... For me, we have a target stick and also my fist. So they just basically beak to my fist slash that area and we just reward it. So targeting for that and then getting them up on a scale. So this is the most difficult thing is shift them out, which is easy. Moving the scale, which is meant for large hoof stocks. So the scale weighs about 180, 200 pounds, I want to say. So we move that in there, set it up with the scale bars, lock it all up, shift them back in and then scale steps up on it and we get that weight so probably the most difficult thing is just getting those monthly weights because moving that scale is a delight <laughs> but it's cassowary and hippo strength rated so that's why we have it and it has a nice one inch foam topper on it so they're not going to move anywhere and we could do some stuff um, then moana and dodo we're also working on some injection training so we're desensitizing them to just that touch on the back um, through the bar. And then we're creating a training station outside of exhibit with a little shoot. Once we get some dimensions and breeding season, second clutch lane stops, we'll go ahead with that. Cool. That's, uh, that's really interesting. That's, that's how, like, what are their weights? So Moana's around 120. Dodo is around, Goodness, I got to do some math real quick. Around 90 to 100 pounds. Um, So we had a clutch of eggs. Um, They were no longer recommended to breed from the species survival plan coordinator. So we had to um, basically blow out the eggs, create dummy eggs with plaster and all that, give it back to them. So Dodo did what a male cassowary does is he takes care of the eggs and the babies. So we let him sit on the fake eggs for um, the amount of time it would take for those to hatch, and then we pulled those eggs. But during that time, he's focused on those eggs, not really shifting, but we did get him to 
shift and do some things so we could monitor and clean the exhibit here and there. But that's just a testament to staff and the training program we have in place of getting that bird off eggs when he thinks they're still there. Um, there's a few facilities that have had males that through a blizzard, through tornado weather, that type of thing, have just sat on eggs, just making sure his babies, future babies are good. So good dad. So cassowary, fun fact, mom, she has a few boyfriends and if things are good, she'll lay multiple nests and it's the dads that sit on the eggs and raise the young and then kick the young out to the world. So mom just defends her territory and her boyfriends and then no, no parental care from her. Wow, that is really interesting. I did not, I did not know that. That's very cool. Um, are they like, I don't, I don't know. This might be a dumb question, but that's okay. I'm a drummer. Um, <laughs> what, uh, are, I know that they're not flighted, but do they still have like hollow bones and stuff? So their skeleton is solid. Okay. Um, I was just wondering how they weighed so much. That's really they, interesting. They are just units, basically. They're strong, sturdy birds. Um, and, we built their holding, basically draft horse Clydesdale-esque stalls. So big, thick, heavy-duty two-by-sixes. So it's strong. could take a kick from a Clydesdale and not break, but also giving. So it's not cinder block, brick and all that. It's something that gives, but is still super strong. So if bird is angry and kicks at the wall, kicks at the door, door's going to move but not break, and bird's not going to break. So... Very good design aspect of the new expansion here. That's really cool. I I mean, I love the whole Revolutionary Edge. It's so cool. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, yeah, that's, I love the kind of thought that goes into things like that too. It's just, that's really impressive. That's really cool. Um, so do you know offhand, I'm, I'm just fascinated by the hollow bones thing because I just always think birds hollow bones. So is that true of all rat tights then? I believe so. I believe they have that solid skeleton. Um, so. Just like me or you, we kind of have spongy inner bone. Same thing with the ratites. They have a more developed skeletal system. Um, so it's not the thin, dainty air sac filled like the flight of birds. It's more robust. That makes sense. That's really cool. I did not know that. I like learning. Learning's cool. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, is it um, – do you end up doing a lot of other work then? Because like most people that I talk to, be it here or elsewhere, you know, they, they have more than two animals that are like on their string. So do you do a lot of cover work or are you able to fill all your time with well, those two? So also responsible for basic uh, life support system for the hippo. So keeping those pools clean because hippos poop primarily in the water. So most mornings I'm doing some form of Retrieving the poop fecal matter out of the system that the filtration hasn't gone through. So um, I also in the morning and afternoon help with our barnyard area because when it's 90 degrees out, the more people you have helping clean for that second and third yard clean, the better because nobody likes to be outside when it's 90 or above. So help with that. Um, training is a big part of it, making sure everything's clean. So hippos make a lovely mess. So a good portion of my day is cleaning up cassowary and hippo because both are amazing poopers so <laughs> we fill up about three to four muck buckets worth of poop from hippos and then cassowary is about two five gallon buckets because their digestive system not that efficient so they eat food and you see identifiable pieces of fruit come back out so they'll 
go to that pile, eat it a second and third time, which in the wild helps propagate a lot of seeds, which is good. So they're like more disgusting squirrels from <laughs> Australia and New Guinea. So <laughs> squirrels bury their nuts. Cats wear his poop everywhere and the seeds germinate. Amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of curious. So you, you mentioned fruit. So are they frugivores? Or? They are primarily frugivores. Right. So the main component of their diet is fruit and then a significant portion of veggies. So high protein veggie and um, high vitamin and E and A veggies as well. Because um, in captivity, one of the deficiencies they have that causes a lot of issues is that vitamin A and E deficiency. So carrots and steamed sweet potatoes. All right. So I'm more than a little confused right now um, for many reasons, just it, in life in happens. general. But um, so why are they such ridiculously efficient dinosaur murder birds if they're out there eating fruit and veggies? I mean, I've met some really, you know, nasty vegetarians, but outside of that... The most dangerous uh, animals, a hungry vegetarian. Right? No, but like from an evolutionary standpoint, I'm honestly wondering, like, why are they such efficient killers if they don't have to kill anything but like a beanstalk? So they're from deep four rainforested areas of Papua New Guinea and northern Queensland, Australia. Those forests, a lot of that rainforest in Australia is a couple million years old, if not older. So I think the one's 60 million years old. That track of forest has been a forest since that time. So there have been a lot of different predators, marsupial predators, other mammalian predators in Papua New Guinea that come through other birds. So it's just a defense being big and being able to defend yourself and your young is key. So they, instead of the flight aspect, they've gone for the fight aspect of that survival instinct. Okay. I guess I, that does make sense. I just, I feel like most animals that you think of as being efficient killers are that because they need to kill rather. Yeah. I mean, well, and I guess you still do as a defense mechanism, but you know, you know what I'm saying? So that's just, that's just kind of interesting. Oh, very cool. I was very surprised when you were like, oh yeah. And they're, they eat fruit. Yeah. <laughs> like, cool. They, they're built to eat fruit and then protect their themselves and their young. So if you're that big and you're younger, itty bitty about the size of like an average rooster when they're born and a couple of days old. So dad has a lot to take care of. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, very cool. Um, is there anything else that you want to tell me about being here, your time here, this place? Uh, we could bash on Becca for a little bit longer. You know, whatever whatever you want to do. I have a question for both of you. Oh, okay. okay. Is this an on mic thing? Here, it is an on come mic. to me. Okay. All right, guys. We asked TikTok, Mike, I know you remember this. What do you think? Hippos, avocados, or potatoes? That's a good question. I will defer to you first. Oh, I have good reasons behind mine, though. Um, so originally I was team avocado, but as Holly got bigger and bigger when she was pregnant and them just laying out in the wallow, you don't see their feet too much, their legs. So they look like a baked potato. And also Holly was a fully loaded baked potato when she was <laughs> pregnant. And then she gave birth to a tater tot so i'm team potato now i used to be team avocado because like their skin has a unique texture and all that but we'll see what tiktok said i don't remember what tiktok so okay the skin i agree with the avocado thing like i do see where those 
woefully misguided people are uh, coming from. <laughs> I do. Uh, but they are clearly potatoes floating in the water, just being potatoes. And and I know that the hippos themselves don't float, but they look like potatoes floating in the water. And um, they are they are potatoes. And I can prove it also using like very serious logic here because they have eyes like potatoes Ooh. and they're not the pits. Ah, uh, I will see myself out. <laughs> seven out of ten. That was pretty good. <laughs> I like that most of our reasoning was just kind of punny. One of yours and and all of mine. Yeah, but now when when you see them in person, they're just very potatoy. They yeah. are. Yeah. And there's a lot more good puns with names and all that with a potato. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Okay. So are are we done interrupting my podcast now? All right. I, I guess. Okay. Okay. I, just checking. All right, just check it, just check it. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, cool. And then if you've got nothing else, then um, I guess it's time for the conservation organization. All right. So conservation organization that the Science Center and myself have recently partnered up with, um, Reef. So they go out there and do fish surveys. They do um, invasive <laughs> – I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I know what a fish survey is, and I would like you to explain it to to the listeners. But I immediately picture somebody standing there with a clipboard being like, excuse me, Sturgeon, can you tell me what you think of that? You're not far <laughs> off. But basically, um, coral reefs, uh, saltwater habitats and all that, a lot of them are getting degraded um, through the 70s and 80s and 90s. Things were taking a negative turn. A lot of organizations are working on making them healthy again. So how do you know if a reef's healthy or not? It's counting fish, counting larger fish species and all that. So basically they have – it's a lot of citizen science stuff. So you actually do go out there with a little dry clipboard that you could write on underwater, a little slate, and you count fish and you enter the data. And that's how they could see trends with populations and all that. So um, our organization has a grant within house that any employee can apply to that's full-time. I believe also opening up to part-time. I'm not – positive on that don't yell at me people um but becca's not paying attention she's texting someone she's checked out she's just she's just checked out right now it's fine it's fine anyway (laughs) (laughs) so i team i teamed up with our dive master who applied for this grant to find organizations that we could work with in country so down in florida keys there's a lot of organizations reef is down there so we went out on a coral reef one day, did two dives and counted fish, entered that data and very good organization that was working with us. So helped us a lot. We helped them and it's something we want to partner with that we're going to work with in the future. And any organization that the average person could help out with and are making an impact we really like because um, it's going to take a lot of people to make a little bit of a difference. It's not going to be the three billionaires that are going into space. It's going to be communities of people upgrading their recycling systems, watching out for wildlife, that type of thing. So absolutely. And citizen science is huge. That's awesome. So if you're listening to this, check out the organization known as reef. I'll put their stuff in the liner notes and you too can go and be a reefer. Wait, I said that wrong. Um, but no, you too can go and help out with, uh, with honestly really important stuff. Like we've talked a lot on the podcast about how important coral are and, and all that stuff. So yeah, that's very, very cool. Um, and then, oh, what you got something. Oh, you no, the, up. the gross poop story. Poop story. Oh, we're thought, getting there. Yeah, okay. Right, okay. Right, I'm right. jumping the gun. Oh, oh. you're stealing. Everyone, what has oh, happened? I have Be- lost Becca's- control. <laughs> 
The inmates are in charge. Now. <laughs> All right. And it's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're going to laugh and say, oh, no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. About a week ago, I was cleaning the night area for the hippos. I was looking into the indoor exhibit pool. So looking, mom and baby are right next to each other. It was adorable. My heart exploded a little bit. So hippos, they fart just like people fart. Don't believe anyone who says they don't fart. They're lying. Don't trust them. So <laughs> Holly farted and then like big old bubbles. It's a big hippo. And then not even a minute later, little huckleberry, just little bubble, just a little <laughs> bubble. So that was a cuter thing that happened recently and kind of gross, but not gross, gross. So that's my poop slash gassy story. I like it. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for putting up with Becca. And uh, yeah, we, we really appreciate it. Yeah, this was a blast. Thank you. All right. There you have it, folks. An awesome look at another uh, person at the Greensboro Science Center who I have just come to love. So that was a wonderful time. I'm grateful to Mike for being there. I'm, I guess, okay with the fact that Becca jumped in multiple times or whatever. <laughs> no, I love Becca. And like I said, you can hear Becca and I talking for an extended period of time if you go and check out Greensboro Science Center's Science Unlocked podcast, episode five, featuring me as a guest. I, I do get some revenge on her for how she treated me in this and other episodes. So make sure you go check that out for me. All right. Now I have to say at the beginning of this podcast, so I don't script my intros or outros um, or really most of what I ever do on this podcast or in life. Um, but uh, I, I went into the whole, you know, um, famous duos thing. And then, uh, wow, my brain just left me. I think I said Laurel and Hardy is the first one, which like, I, I know that's a thing, but I I don't think I've ever even seen anything Laurel and Hardy. I don't know. I don't know where my brain was. But, um, you know, I can't believe I didn't hit, like, Cheech and Chong or, like, you know, Miles and Coltrane. Okay, most of you guys aren't jazz people, so, yeah, you're probably not sure who that is. But uh, but uh, suffice to say, they're a famous duo. But uh, another famous duo that I should have mentioned is Dr. Laura Shank and Dr. Stephen Williamson, the duo that are my current Red Panda-level patrons. So I'd like to say thank you to them, as well as all of my patrons, for supporting the podcast. And I'd like to remind you all that the word credits backwards is Stiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John. Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.